listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome. You're listening to I Might Be Wrong. I'm Rich, and with me is Henry. Hello, Rich. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. We're now at that moment where we are starting to get to be able to see friends, groups of friends. We're recording this on the Monday of the Easter weekend, so you'll be hearing our voices bright and early tomorrow morning, potentially, if you if you want to listen to us that early. Um, and both of us have had some nice outdoor time with friends and family. You were at your parents who live not far south of you yesterday, weren't you? Yeah, did that yesterday. And then today I got snowed on on my bike. So it's not quite summer yet. The spring still needs to do a bit of springing, but uh, it's lovely to get out and about. How about you? Have you been outdoors? Yeah, I went for a wander, uh, dropped some beers off to my bubble, and then, yeah, just went for a walk across Victoria Park, which is a lovely big space, and it was it's beautiful out there. It wasn't as cold as I was expecting it to be, but Bristol often is a little bit warmer. Yeah. You're, you're in the middle of nowhere, so you get you get all the Arctic tundra. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think we've... Um we've completely got through the last of the cold but the podcast has gone through winter i think we can <laughs> we can safely say that we've uh, we've navigated the dark and gloomy times we've got to the clock change so yeah there's some light in the sky now which is a good thing absolutely and we've got some positive high energy wonderful music to talk about as well this week well yeah you've brought this artist to the table and you've gone back to the 2000s i guess uh, mm-hmm. the, the noughties uh, for your one who, who have you brought to the table i've brought gold frap because i love them uh, i'm really glad you picked gold frap partly because they weren't really a big band for me so really? it'd be interesting to see why you got into them before we go i guess into the detail how did you come across them <laughs> That's a good question, and I genuinely don't know. Uh, they were a band that I think just started appearing on the radio. Their music was used on adverts, so their first album is a bit different to the one that we're going to talk about. So I, I want to talk about Supernature because that's probably the album that I think of as being the one that really got me into them, even though I knew them pretty well before that. Felt Mountain had a track called Lovely Head, which was used in a lot of adverts, I think, around the time of release. And in fact, a, a few of those tracks were. And so I think they were just, they just sort of appeared and I started listening to them. And I know I'll probably get shouted at for this, but Felt Mountain for me is sort of a bit take it or leave it. I love some of the tracks on there, but there are others where I just, it's not so much my kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that's where I fell out of love with them before I even fell in love with them. That doesn't make any sense, but that's kind of what happened. I think I heard the album and it just passed me by. And I, in my head, I just went, that's Goldfrap style. I'm not interested. I'm out and disappeared off on my own indie folk trail and <laughs> left it. Yeah, I think for me, there was that element of that. And then when their second album hit... It was a lot more energetic, and I think that perked my interest back up in them. Makes sense. So tell us about Goldfrap. Who are they? What do they do? What's their kind of music style? <laughs> so <laughs> yes. Goldfrap are, according to their Wikipedia entry, an English electronic music duo from London formed in 1999 
consisting of Alison Goldfrapp, who is, she does all the singing. She's the vocalist and does synths as well. And then Will Gregory, who does a lot of the synths work as well. And they work with session musicians and people for the albums and the live music tours and all that kind of stuff. But they're the core creative duo. And you ask what style of music, and that's a tricky one because they they very much bounce around different styles, everything from straight-up electronica to 80s synths to folksy stuff. They've got an, an entire album that's almost entirely just pretty folk. And it's because Alison Goldfrapp herself just is very keen not to be pinned down to a style. Okay. She actually said in an interview, I don't think you can keep everyone happy, can you? To a degree, our real fans kind of like that they don't know what's going to happen next. And they, they've talked about the fact that maybe they could have contemplated a different name to record under for the things that are more kind of folksy and less electronica. But I, they just like doing new stuff, so they don't okay. feel the need to. That's a bit surprising to me because in my head, and I guess it's because their popular songs have all been the more disco, glam, scuzzy electronica with an upbeat tempo that you can put on the radio or what you mm-hmm. can hear in a bar. That's exactly what I associate with golf rap and I've pigeonholed them completely. So the fact that you've mentioned folk music just slightly blew my mind because I didn't think they did anything like that. When we talk about the other albums after we've got through this one, I'll mention a couple of them and they are worth, I think, more exploration because... I've sort of ignored the folksy side a bit and not through willfully ignoring it, more just complete lack of awareness that those albums even really existed. So you said they started in what, 99, 2000-ish? Yep. And they were formed in London? Yes. So they've got really interesting pre-Gold Trap backgrounds, or at least I think it's really interesting. I don't know whether our listeners will, (laughs) well, I guess we'll find out because they'll tell us. So one of the things that was fascinating for me was Alison Goldfrapp wanting to be a singer from a very young age. So I listened to an interview with her where she talked about her time in a convent school. So before she went to high school, she was in a convent school and she wasn't academically particularly strong. She talks about the fact that they were encouraged to sing on a daily basis. She was part of a choir And that was the thing where she was really encouraged to do more because she was clearly talented from a young age. And she says she has a physical feeling from singing that is unlike anything else. And it's early on, she hit these high notes and she could feel the top of her head start buzzing. Right. I can sort of relate to that because it's that feeling like when you score a goal in a really important football match and you get that like adrenaline fueled buzz, I can imagine it'd be something like that. That's cool. And it's not just a physical thing where like her skull's just literally vibrating in her heads because she's like... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe. (laughs) But yeah, either one would would be pretty cool, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. I've never had my head vibrate before, so... Well, she she talked about the fact that that was something that was really defining for her early on, and she wanted to go off to performing arts school and become an opera singer, but her parents couldn't really afford to do it. She ended up going to a comprehensive school and sort of lost track of that dream. Yeah. But she'd always still wanted to become a performer, become a singer, and her parents were sort of discouraging. You know, her mum was like, oh, you should 
get a job as a secretary or something like that, you know, just get something solid. And her dad, who'd been in the army, tried to push her towards the army. And she ended up leaving school at 16 and moving to London and mm-hmm. ended up in a squat in southeast London. And she'd use a payphone just down the road to call ads that were placed in Melody Maker to try and get jobs with bands. Whoa, that's that's dedication, I yeah, guess. Absolutely. Wow. Good honour. And then she ended up hanging out with a group and through that group she met a guy who was from Antwerp who was creating music for a dancer and a dance company and the Arts Council paid for her to go to Antwerp and be involved in that music creation. Wow. Which is how she then sort of started to get her reputation as a singer because she was a singer before she was in Goldfrap. She'd collaborated with other fairly well-known acts but she then, from there, went off to university and studied fine art and creating live performance pieces. And having done work with Orbital and Tricky as a vocalist, she then got introduced through people in the industry to Will Gregory, who's been around like working since the 80s and 90s. And they sort of felt this mutual connection and wrote Lovely Head and then were like, we could do this. We could do this as a band yeah. and formed Gold Trap. That's cool the way that she's kind of almost just gone from door to door and, and knocked on it to try and get her way into the industry. I've, I've got a cool anecdote, which is almost the opposite of that, with um, <laughs> one of my neighbours who lived on the King's Road back in in the day when the King's Road was, was super cool. Mm. And um, one day he and his, his mates with their little gang their little bolt hole had a knock on the door and there was this little goofy kid on the step and he introduced himself as Farouk and he said, "Uh, guys, can I hang out with you? I've heard you guys are pretty cool. And they were like, piss off. You know, don't want to see you again. Not interested. You're not going to be in our club. Farouk went on to be Freddie Mercury and um, they they, they basically told him to uh, to, to shove it. And uh, yeah, so he ended up going a different path and meeting up with Brian May and the rest and, and off they go as Queen. Well, I'm glad to hear that because if they hadn't told him to shove it, they might have been a crappy no-name band and Queen (laughs) wouldn't have happened because they were about to quit when Freddie Mercury joined them. Well, exactly. So, yeah, well done, my neighbour. But anyway, so Knocking on Doors, Goldfrap, they've formed. Yes. Awesome. And Will Gregory has a similar parallel, which I thought was another kind of interesting quirk of Goldfrap as a band, which is that he says... I got into music kind of by default as it was the only thing I was good at. I was the weird one at school who practiced the piano during lunch break. In my teens, I met other musicians and was so relieved to find some like minds that I think I never wanted to leave the weird muso club. Perhaps it's the same for many musicians. I ended up playing the oboe and then moving on to sax, which got me into diverse musical disciplines. So he's that same thing of not particularly academic, not by the sound of things into other things, but just very focused and having this real drive from an early age to get into music awesome just cool very cool i wish i'd had that level of discipline when i was that age and didn't just want to go and play football with my mates all the time yeah well you never know some of those footballers (laughs) probably ended up doing fairly well themselves as well so so yeah in the 80s he was already working and he recorded and toured with tears for fears and then in the 90s he performed with people like peter gabriel the cure and portishead uh, and also apparently played oboe for Tori Amos. Awesome. Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. So he's got well already this kind of connected background in the music industry just from being 
by the sound of things, a very talented session musician. And then, yeah, in August 99, they signed a recording contract with Mute Records and recorded their debut album. Which I think was pretty... I don't know if it was mainstream, but I definitely... The album art I recognised from the time it mm-hmm. was doing the rounds at school, I guess, just just leaving school. So I was definitely aware of it. I don't know whether it was a, a big thing, but it was definitely a thing. <laughs> I think it was sort of a big thing at the time. It wasn't. It wasn't like they were completely under the radar. There was certainly a decent chunk of my friends who knew and liked Goldfrap. Yeah, so I I wasn't cool enough to really like Goldfrap. I think I was a little bit almost almost put off by the coolness in their in their music. And I had some cool friends who were like, "Yeah, we're Goldfrap fans," and I was like, "Yeah, I'm not in that crowd." So <laughs> they were just too cool for not me. Not part of the crew. And so I think that first that first album was when I kind of went, "I'll go back to my angst and my indie and my folk." <laughs> and I think it is in places quite hard work. I suspect if they released it as like their fifth or sixth album, I'd have given it a lot more time and listens, and maybe I should go back and listen to it more. But for me, there's there's a couple of standout tracks there, and then there's a couple of standout tracks on Black Cherry, but that's where they start to sound like gold frap that people think of as like mainstream gold frap. Yeah, because Black Cherry's got a strict machine on, which is yep. one of the big ones, but I guess we'll we'll come back to that. Absolutely. So Supernature... Right. I mean, I love this album. It's it's such a vibrant album. I love the use of instruments and it's so big and just everything is there and in your face and it makes you want to get up and dance. I just I I think it's a wonderful album. This album for me is if I owned a kind of inner city bar and I wanted to get people like you can feel the atmosphere is getting better and they're like maybe nine o'clock, half nine. I'd whack mm-hmm. on Goldfrap, I'd whack this whole album on and just play it through and it would just get the atmosphere really going. Not dancing, but people are just like, yeah, this is a cool place to be. Yeah, yeah that, that vibe. Because it's that's the other thing as well, is it's not all dancey as an album. It sort of hits highs and lows. Yeah. And I guess most really great albums do that. They kind of bring you to highs and then yeah. bring you back down again and, and build again. But this, I mean, it starts with an absolute belter of a track. Ooh La La is... That and Strict Machine have got to be their two most famous songs. Yeah. And I think you could play Ooh La La to even the most tone-deaf non-music fan and they would be like, oh yeah, I know that one. Yeah, or at least get it and right. just kind of get the vibe. Because you get that that statement of intent for the whole album. You know, you have the synths building, that initial melody. You've got like an electronic buzz in the background that just kind of gives it some vibrancy and some like energy and then you have the drum beats that kick in and you've got her almost trademark dreamy vocals that you you talked about detachment with metric and you mentioned Alison Goldfrapp which I guess was the driver for me doing this one this week I don't know that I think of her being detached in the way that metrics vocals are but they're certainly dreamy and a little bit otherworldly you see, I, I think it's more, I don't know how, I, it just feels more confident than Metric. I think maybe their style just seems so much more like, you can picture them up on stage. Like, I've never seen them live. I've never mm. seen even seen anything on YouTube. But 
with this kind of music, with Ooh La La playing, you know what they're going to look like on the stage. They're just like, yeah, we're fucking awesome. <laughs> like, it's got that sound. And it's fascinating that you say that because Alison Goldfrapp herself, the, the interview that I listened to is a Radio 4 podcast thing that I found. She talks about being quite insular, I guess, in a way. I mean, there was yeah. literally a quote of, I don't feel comfortable talking, I'm not articulate enough. I was like, I don't get that because it was an interesting interview and she was very articulate. Yeah. I, I don't know, maybe she's, she talks about in her younger life, her parents basically thinking that she didn't have a posh enough accent or a, a, what's the right word? That eloquent yeah. accent that we think of, the Queen's English, which is a total, like, some of the dumbest people I've met have posh accents. <laughs> but I can understand it, like, back in the like 70s, 80s, 90s, that would be probably more of a thing than it is now. But rather than trying to move her accent, she just got quieter and a bit more insular. And so it's almost these two personalities that she has where all of her confidence is balled up in that singing ability and the musical ability. And so yeah. you get that come across very strongly in the music, but not in interviews is fascinating. Yeah, because a lot of, I guess, especially singer-songwriters that we've talked to, talked about in the past have been quiet people and shy people and their music, you can hear it in their music. There'll be, you know, vocals maybe a bit soft and you can just tell they're a shy guy or girl. That's just how they are. But with Goldfrapp, I'm a bit surprised that you said that because I kind of assumed she was just like, yeah, come on, on stage, bam, yeah, let's do it. You'd think so. And I mean, I haven't seen them live either, but I'd assume that maybe on stage they're like that. But equally, I know performers who are very introverted who the moment they step on the stage, there's this switch that comes on and suddenly they're on. But if you were to meet them in real life without all their surroundings and their stage you wouldn't believe they were a performer yeah true sorry bringing this back to ooh la la there are things in here that i think of as being real gold frap dna things yeah so the baseline is brilliant but it also does this subtle build where it it doesn't just kick in and carry on it sort of builds and builds and builds and builds until it hits the chorus and it's brilliant the way they do that and it's it's also fucking sexy. Like this whole album is so sexy, and that marries with your stick it on in a London late night bar vibe thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Lyrics of "I want to touch you, you're just made for love," and the video itself for this has this sort of sultry nineties Madonna vibe thing going on. Yeah, well, it's it's quite a Madonna-ish cover to the album. Yeah, absolutely. And there's definitely eighties synthy influences here not necessarily as much as there are in some of the later albums but there is some of that stuff there also there's this moment a couple of minutes in where everything drops and all you have is the bass line claps and the vocals and then it all builds back up to this massive climax it's really so well done, theatrical it? it's, it's yeah yeah that's a great way of putting it actually it really is it, it really is theatrical yeah and a, yeah brilliant album opener yeah the next track lovely to see you I yes. love that. I really, really like that song. I absolutely agree with you on on that track. It's such a brilliant one. I mean, my notes here just say mm, bass. <laughs> yes, yes, true. Yeah, you can't miss that. 
It's massive and fat. That bass is just wonderful. I love albums that can do that where first song is the obvious, you know, a lot of bands open well and some almost kind of settle into the album in the in, in the second song, but this one just kind of goes, yeah, we're, we're still here. We're not putting in any filler to start with. It's a, it's a great way to continue. Yeah, there's a confidence that comes with that before things sort of chill out. Yeah. And I, I had a problem with this album because the reason why I picked Supernature is that for me it is certainly from their early work the most accomplished the most mature the one where they really understand really understand what they're trying to do with the album and it's really hard to just pick a few tracks out I could comfortably get excited about almost every track on this album that's kind of why I jumped in quickly and said I really like <laughs> but you're right it, it does play through really really well and and cherry pricking on this album you know you don't really need to do it and that's the thing that really got me to the point of picking this album over black cherry because black cherry's got some absolutely cracking songs on it but this is an album as a whole it's an album that i have many 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 times over the years just stuck on my stereo stuck on repeat and just just listened through yeah and and you can see why it's a really good album for for an evening yeah I'm going to jump to the end. Have you got any tracks that you want to shout about before I do? Um, rather than go through, I was going to say number one is is, is one that I, I do like, but are you going to go all the way to Beautiful? Uh, no, I was going to jump to Time Out From The World because this, to me, is a lovely change of pace from some of the rest of the album. It It has that real ethereal thing that they had in Felt Mountain and it's it's just beautiful and it sort of reminds me of air the way that it's designed and the way it flows yeah and i'm glad they took that kind of change of pace as well it it still wouldn't sound out of place in that late night bar even when it when (laughs) when it comes on i don't think it would annoy people i'm a fan of it yeah good shout yeah and you you mentioned the change of pace thing they do do that a few times i think this is just my favorite of those slower tracks and then, yeah, you mentioned it already. Number one, filthy synths, and the bass in this is brilliant. It's it's a wonderful slice of electronic pop. Yeah, they do this brilliantly over and over again, and the way it's produced as well is really good. I love I love the production on this because it's kind of clean and scuzzy at the same time. I don't know how that makes sense, but it kind of is. I totally get you. Yeah, absolutely. It has. Some of the synths are very pop and very beautiful and doing all the melodic stuff. And then you've got the bassier end that have these kind of fat textured edges to them that, <laughs> that sort of gives it a little bit more than just your average pop song. Agree. Yeah. And, and you're right with texture as well. They Maybe it's that top of her head vibrating again. It's that, <laughs> that kind of style that's being drawn out. We should talk about some of the other albums because I've only said filthy synths once so far. But that to me is is such a big, again, I talk about the Goldfrap DNA, but it's a big thing that they do that I really associate with them and not very many other acts. Yeah, and also this kind of almost disco-y glam type beat where there's this bass line which just kind of goes along and, and you start, your head starts nodding when you just hear <laughs> yeah. a gold trap track like this. You, you just bounce along and you're like, yeah, I, you know exactly who you're dealing with. 
and to the point where I think you're right, they do have a little niche. It is a kind of gold frap style, which I, I don't think many bands really, really recreate very well. And the perfect example of where they've really pushed that a lot is a couple of tracks on Black Cherry. So Train is the first time you really hear them push the boat out on the filthiness of the synths. Like the intro to that track is just outrageous. Yeah, I don't know it very well. But they do this a lot. They they do have this um, this kind of sound which you kind of need to almost experience it in louder than just headphones. You want to see it and, and be a part of it. Well, you've already mentioned Strict Machine, which is another one with that same big, heavy synth thing going on. Tiptoe's another track on there as well. And then you've got Black Cherry itself, which as as a track is just it's just wonderful. It's just really beautiful. Yeah, I think Black Cherry passed me by, but it seems like there's a lot to it, and it's probably one that which I should go back to. There are some very good tracks. There's also probably three or four that sort of leave me not not cold, but just I don't think they're as good as the other tracks on Supernature, if that makes sense. Yeah. What about post Supernature? Because after that, my knowledge of Goldfrap vanishes. I just I don't know, don't know what's happening there. <laughs> Well, I think there's there's a bit of a split. So Seventh Tree is almost like a movie soundtrack. It's it's very folksy. And I think maybe at the time I dismissed it because it wasn't like the previous two and I wanted another big dancey disco album. And it definitely wasn't that. But I think it needs probably some more listens. Yep. And then Tales of Us, which is a darker, moodier, kind of quiet and folksy thing. It's really nice. Uh, I just haven't really listened to it at all. So I think I could go back and listen to it now and maybe enjoy it more. Yep. So I think there's there's some work there to be done for me to uh, to go and have a listen to, to those two albums. And I sort of think Felt Mountain sort of drops into that as well. It's... It's a bit soundtracky. Everyone knows Lovely Head. Yep. The atmospheric synths and the whistling to open that up is brilliant. The Wikipedia entry alleges that what sounds like a theremin in the song is in mm-hmm. fact Alison's vocals being manipulated by a Korg synthesizer. Oh, nice. Now, I'd always thought it was a theremin. I went back and had a listen after I read that, and I'm now not convinced that (laughs) it is i think it actually is her vocals because you can almost hear the human element to it if that makes sense even though it's being heavily electronically processed cool it's like the whole matt bellamy singing through a guitar amp got it what's it called um muscle museum yeah he does it a few times but i think it is muscle museum yeah and utopia on here is great but that is sort of a hint towards what's coming on Black Cherry and Supernature. Yeah. Head First is the next of the sort of disco pop dance albums. And this one, I mean, they've said themselves, is deliberately 80s pop inspired. Uh, if you listen to Rocket at the start of the album, it's all 80s synths and drum machines. It's is a brilliant track, but I don't think this album's particularly well known. No, no, not to me. Believer as well. Believer's got an epic chorus. That's probably probably my favourite on this album. And I had listened to Head First a fair bit. I went back and listened to it because I wasn't sure. And there are a lot of things in there that sort of hit those triggers in my memory of like, yep, I know this, yep, I know this kind of stuff all the way through. 
it's a really good album. I don't think it's as good as Supernature and Black Cherry, but it's it's fun. And if you like 80s synth, this is absolutely worth a listen. Nice, because this came out in 2010, and I still wasn't mm-hmm. cool enough then to uh, <laughs> to really get into it. I, I don't think I've ever been cool enough to listen to Golf Rap properly. Uh, 80s synth pop is definitely not particularly cool. So I think you're right on that one. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I don't know. It's just... It, I don't. I don't know if the confidence keeps shining through on it, but maybe maybe that's what it is. Right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'll give it a listen. And then their most recent album is Silver Eye, which is bloody brilliant. It's a genuinely, genuinely fantastic album. When this came out, if if we'd had a podcast and doing hidden tracks back then, I'd have banged on for a good ten minutes about how good this <laughs> album is. It's it's a total return to form. Nice. So this for me is my second favourite Supernature as an album. Wow. And I genuinely think that it might be musically their best electronic album. Mm-hmm. Cool. Just in terms of the maturity, the understanding of the sound. Supernature is brilliant. This might be better. If they'd released this before Supernature. Wow. I think it might have got a lot more attention. Any more on Sister Magic. Just a brilliant way to open the album. Loads of energy. More filthy synths. It's more balanced, I think, in terms of having some of the more felt mountain aesthetic in tracks like Tiger Man and Zodiac Black. And those feel more thoughtful and have more purpose than the felt mountain stuff just just because they're, what, seven albums in at this point? Yeah. Interesting. Okay, I will have to check this out because this is a recent album. It's only a oh, few yeah. years, few years ago. And they do another one. I'm intrigued to see what happens next. Probably more folk by the, <laughs> by the <laughs> ups and downs and swings and roundabouts that they seem to go on with this stuff. I'd be interested to see what happens anyway, because they do have some guitarsy stuff. Certainly in the folk stuff, there's more uh, acoustic-y stuff. I'd love to hear them do a rock album. I think that'd be <laughs> really interesting to see if they went down that route. Yeah, definitely. That would be weird. Or maybe like, I mean, you and I both like indie rock crossed with electronica. Maybe if they could just bring some electric guitars much more into the mix. Yeah, it could work, couldn't it? But then you'd kind of err on turning into the darkness or something. No, would that work? Are we... Are we... <laughs> what, what am I saying? <laughs> I don't know that I think the darkness I is the worst thing that could happen. I think I think there's a bit of... There's a bit of fun there that, I mean, they don't see themselves as a parody band. They genuinely love that kind of hair metal style thing. But mainstream media seemed to just decide that they were a parody band and that sort of buried them after they'd done that first album in the Christmas song. I don't know why I mentioned The Darkness. I was kind of thinking kind of that glam disco style and then I just went glam in my head and then I just had The Darkness there. Anyway, let's yeah. let's move on. Have you seen Golf Rap Live? No, as I mentioned, I, I have not seen them live. I'd love to. I think they would be a very interesting band live because I don't know how you build a set from all the very, very varied things that they've done. Yeah, They're doing a Felt Mountain tour this year. I'm not sure I'm excited enough to go and see all of Felt Mountain performed live, but if they do a Supernature tour, I will be there. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's cool. I've not seen them. I've been at a festival where they were playing, but mm-hmm. definitely wasn't my thing. But I've definitely been to many bars where their music has come on and I've enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they, they have the potential to be 
a very exciting band to see live. So they're, they're on the list. Yeah. And what about influences? Have they steered you anywhere? Because for me, they're quite gold frap. <laughs> that's just, that's, that's, that, that's their style. That's their niche. I think for me, they maybe push me into some of that more dancey, synthy sound, but in a smarter, more engaging style than I found 80s since to be at the time. And I was only a kid in the 80s, so who knows what I'd have thought of them if I'd been actually grown up at that time. I think the influence there is Goldfrap have influenced me to keep listening to more Goldfrap because there's not really all that much that's like them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. I should mention before we go, one of my favourite quotes from Alison on Felt Mountain is after they'd released it, people would interview them and ask them, what are your influences? And she'd always say, Ennio Morricone and Disco, and they'd just look at her and be like, what? Yeah, that's... um, (laughs) How does any of that fit with Felt Mountain? And then you listen to their progression and you get a lot more of an understanding of where she comes from. But now that you mentioned Morricone, I'm just completely segueing into The Good, The Bad and The Ugly because... (laughs) That soundtrack is the best soundtrack on any film ever. And I don't care if you post letters and write emails and all this stuff. (laughs) It is the best. And I've never heard, watched a film that comes in at nearly three hours being so full of suspense just because of that incredible soundtrack. So we need to add this to the playlist because that is one of the greatest songs ever written, period. (laughs) (laughs) Will do. Cool. Yeah, I think that's all I've got to say about them. I, I, they're quite a private band, so there's not like loads of big party stories, but they seem lovely, and yeah. that makes me happy. Yeah, and I think it's a great shout bringing them on. Really good band who I, I do think that have their their own real niche. And um, if I ever set up my bar in uh, central London, I will be playing golf rap from it. Yeah, sounds like a plan that you'll never do. <laughs> True. All right, cheers, mate. It's been a good one. Cool. We will catch you all soon. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong. 